As you know, we're at that time of year in January where it is the, uh, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and uh, churches usually the, the Sunday before, the Sunday after that, uh, have a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and our church has always sought to acknowledge that Sunday in various ways or forms, and this year I just recently came across this video and was uh, just really impressed. I'd never really seen a history uh, like that uh, of the whole movement presented, and I uh, just thought it was very inspirational, encouraging, and to hear there is kind of a positive direction, we pray, uh, in this area. You know, and I, and I think it's a reminder, you know, I, just thinking, coming out of Nehemiah last week as we were praying or looking at prayer and seeing Nehemiah pray for his nation and, and the people and you know, thinking about, hey, that's just where we are this week as we've had a transfer of leadership. We're praying about truth and justice and kind of the next chapter in America. And what we learned from Nehemiah last week is, boy, when you're praying, you have to be cognizant of your sin and, and ready to confess that sin. And abortion is not the only sin in America. It's not the only grievous sin in America, but it is certainly one of them. That is very grievous. It's hard to imagine as we come before God and ask for blessing and prosperity and protection that, that, that we do that having aborted 55 million babies since 1973. And so, you know, as a church, we need to respond. And, and I understand, you know, we're, we're, all, we're made up of all different kind of personalities. We're all going to deal with issues in a little bit different ways. And there's a multitude of ways to, to respond to something like this. One, just simply being prayer and, and being mindful to have that a part of your prayer life. You see in your bulletin, uh, there's the insert about the Pregnancy Help Center of Chesterfield. And they pr provide a variety of ways that you can get involved. Uh, you saw on the video... Uh, the March for Life that happens annually. Uh, that annual march is this Friday uh, in Washington, D.C., and you can Google that and get information about that. And then something right here close to home that is going on right now in our own uh, Virginia Assembly, there is, we're, we're seeking to see a bill put on the floor. It hadn't been assigned to a, a committee yet, but it is House Bill 1473. If you wanted to Google it and, and get a little more information, you could just HB 1473 in Virginia. But it's called the Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. And what this act in Virginia seeks to do is to make abortions after 20 weeks uh, illegal and where there needs to be a termination of the pregnancy because of the life of the mother, uh, that in those cases... Uh, it requires the doctor to terminate that pregnancy in a way that saves the baby's life. And uh, so that's, that's before our own assembly, or we're seeking to get that, uh, HB 1473. So I encourage you to be aware of those kinds of things and, and ask the Lord, hey, what role do I play in this as a part of this nation? Because we're, we're a part of a people who have done this and uh, been a part of this. So let's uh, take a moment right now and have a word of prayer, okay? Father, we do come before you, and as we have, have seen a new president come into power, our prayers join millions of others. We're, we're thinking about prosperity, we're thinking about protection, we're thinking about what justice looks like, and what this leadership, what this law, and all these things will do in our nation, and it's, it's on our heart, it's in our prayers, and Father, as we do... Uh, pray about these things. Like Nehemiah, we come before you aware that, that we're not a nation that stands before you righteous. We are filled with sexual immorality. 
We are filled with greed. We're filled with violence and, and murder. And Lord, we are, we are a nation that has aborted some 55 million children. God, we come before you wanting these things like prosperity and protection, but we stand with these sins in our midst and we ask your forgiveness. We ask your guidance and your help, Lord. Uh, you know, as I start calling off these, these different sins, these aren't something that horrible people out there have done. Lord, we, many of us in this room have contributed, been a part of, of any and all these sins that we've mentioned. And God, we come before you humbly asking forgiveness, asking for guidance out of these sins, out of these things. And Lord, we pray specifically today that you would guide us as a church, how we encourage, how we help our nation out of this, how we encourage and help our government out of this. Lord, I, I know there's been times in my life where I, I just thought this was the fact. It's just America, it's where we are. And to, to see that that possibility is perhaps out there that, that we could see the end of abortion. God, could that be so? Lord, I pray that knowing in Psalm 139, it says, you knit together in a womb the life of a child. Lord, may, may we end no more of that. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing today our, our series on prayer. And as we continue to look at that, I am mindful of the disciples who, who stood before Jesus one day and said, Lord, could you teach us to pray? You know that. You know, that's the only time they said something like that. Now, I don't mean to make that mean more than it should, but, you know, as they walked with Jesus, as they listened to him teach, they certainly would have learned a lot about, about prayer, about witnessing, about worship, about God, about human life, about happiness, about sadness, about the scriptures. They, they would have learned about every area, but there was one area. They said, oh, could you, could you help us with this? Could, could, could you teach us to pray and I just can't help but believe that, that that question doesn't rise up out of a, and I'll use the word common, out of a common experience of feeling insecure, uncertain about the whole issue of prayer. I mean, I, I would imagine more than one of us have thought, am I being heard? Am I, am I doing this right? Is this on? And you know, so, you know, I look at the disciples and they seem to be in the same place. And at least culturally, the way they would have been raised and trained, I, I would say they'd be further along than a lot of us in, in faith and religion and prayer. And yet there they are asking that question. So, you know, if I could encourage you today, if you have ever felt insecure, uncertain, maybe just plain stupid when it comes to prayer. You're in pretty good company. <laughs> Count yourself in the company of a, of a Peter, a James, a John, of all those uh, apostles. Now, you know, as we come today to look at what Jesus teaches us about prayer, you know, we, we might actually wonder, is it, is it fair to have Jesus teach us on prayer? Now, I know that, that sounds kind of strange. Obviously, we believe Jesus can teach us on anything, right? But, but could we not wonder, does, does Jesus know what it's like to be us when we pray, I mean, he's God, right? He knows everything. 
Got all the answers, knows the future, seen heaven, seen God the Father. I I mean, all of the question marks that we might bring to prayer, they're not there for them. So, So how can he know what it's like to be us in prayer? And yet I look at Luke chapter 22, verse 44, and it, it refers to Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's, he's bowed before the Father there, and he's, he's praying. And it says that he was praying so fervently, so intently, that he sweat drops of blood. An extremely rare condition. I, I doubt any of us knows anybody that that's happened to. Extremely rare, but absolutely real. It is absolutely possible that under a certain level of duress, a certain level of stress. Now, when you're under stress, there's question marks, right? You're stressed because there's a question mark. Jesus, under a certain level of stress, a certain level of duress, is praying so fervently he bled. I haven't done that. I, I I haven't prayed over a question mark like that. And of course, we know what it is he was praying there. He said, Father, if, if there is a way to do this, this being save you and me. If there's a, if there's a way to do this with, without the cross. Father, I want what you want. I'm going to do whatever you tell me. I won't back up. I won't slow down. But you've said I can talk to you about anything. So if there's a way to do this other than the cross... Please. And as he says amen, he stands up and there's the guards to arrest him. I guess that would be a no from heaven, wouldn't it? And and, and as as he goes to the cross, we know that on the cross he prays this prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you felt forsaken? Is that an emotion you've ever experienced? Why do you feel forsaken? Unheard? Unacknowledged? Unrecognized? I I would dare say Jesus not only knows what it's like to hear no from heaven, he knows what it's like to hear nothing. I, I would suggest that Jesus does know from where we stand when we pray. And, and I know it's, it's tempting. It is for me to say, yeah but, he, yeah, but he's God. And he is. He is 100% God. There is nothing about God that is missing in Jesus. He is the entirety of God. But he's also 100% human. That there's nothing about being human that is not in its entirety in Jesus. So he knows the human experience of hearing no from heaven. He knows the human experience of hearing nothing. Oh, folks, Jesus knows from where we stand, or, or should I say, where we kneel when we pray. So when we turn to Jesus and he begins to teach us and, and share with us about prayer, don't, don't put him off on a hill somewhere, some wise old sage spewing meditations on, on prayer, totally disconnected from real world, real life. No, he, he's very real. He's very much real world. He's, he's very much real life. And I think as you turn to what he says on prayer, you're going to find, you're, well, you're going to find it challenging but I think you're also going to find it very real and very encouraging. 
So let's look at some of the things that Jesus says about prayer. And we are going to do that today from the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that is where you find the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, so you've got Malachi and Zechariah to the left, and you've got Mark and Luke to the right, if you're kind of thumbing through there. And uh, we're not going to read all of Matthew 5 to 7, by the way. We're actually going to begin in chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. Matthew 6, verse 5. It says there, And now about prayer. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I assure you that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father secretly. Then your Father who knows all secrets will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered only by repeating the words again and again. Don't don't be like them. Because your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. And, And for those of you that don't have a Bible in front of you, what He gives next is the Lord's Prayer. Why don't we recite that together out loud. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you drop down to verse 16. And when you fast... Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do who try to look pale and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I assure you that is the only reward they will get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will suspect you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in secret and your father who knows all secrets will reward you. Verse 25. So I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, drink, and clothes, doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to Him than they are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. And why worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't won't he more surely care for you? You have so little faith. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs and He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. One more passage, chapter 7, verse 7. Keep on asking and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for everyone who asks, receives, everyone who seeks, finds, and the door is open to everyone who knocks. 
You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Now that's a a pretty good chunk of reading, isn't it? There's a lot there and, and I don't think you're surprised. There's a lot more Jesus says. We're not looking at everything today that, that Jesus teaches on prayer. If we were to walk through the Gospels, pull out all the things he said, there would be a good bit more. But I think we have plenty here to chew on today. And I think we have something that is incredibly, incredibly encouraging. Under that idea that a lot of us aren't sure what we're doing, we're certainly not going to pray out loud because I don't want to what? I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to sound like I, know what, I don't know what I'm doing. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to us? He's saying, hey, listen, don't worry about whether you pray impressively. As a matter of fact, that's the first point, and I'm making five today. But our first point is, listen, when you, prayer, it's, when you pray, it's not for impressing others. Do you see that in verses five and six? Now, let, let's remind ourselves what prayer is. You ready for a deep, very theological definition? It's talking to God. There it is, that's, that's the whole thing and it doesn't get more elaborate and there's, there's not a lot more to expand on. Prayer is a conversation that I have with God, which means prayer is not a religious skill. It's, it's not a religious skill that I use to show others how good and godly I am. How, it's not a religious skill I use to show others that I'm better than them. Now, you have Jesus presenting this here, and if you, 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 noticed, you might have noticed, I read two passages that sounded a lot the same, it just changed one verse, prayer and fasting. And in these two things, it, it kind of comes out sounding like Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I don't want you praying out loud, I don't want you praying in public, fasting in public, and that's not what he's saying. You, you'd be moving in a direction different than what he's dealing with here. I mean, we can walk all the way through Scripture and God's people gather and they pray together and they fast together. As a matter of fact, if you looked up all the places that fasting took place, you would find more often than not it's people fasting together than it is an individual fasting alone. So clearly, we're going to fast and pray together. That means openly. That means publicly. That's not what Jesus is addressing. He's not addressing the action of praying out loud. Probably the key word there is what? Would it be hypocrite? What's a hypocrite? Hypocrite, somebody doing something on the outside that it's not true on the inside. What Jesus is addressing here is our motive. It's our heart when I'm praying or fasting publicly. And, and what he's telling us there is, hey, listen, if, if you're moving before a group of people and you're doing these things, you know, so that you can impress others, so that you can make yourself better than others, you know, just a, a, a big giant, not from heaven. <laughs> you know, God is saying, no, that absolutely does not impress me. That, that is not to be what is happening when, when we're talking with God, and obviously, Far too often, people in church have not listened to what Jesus was saying here. Now, you may even even think of somebody. You ever heard somebody when they were praying to, you kind of thought, who are they talking to? Or do they know him? (laughs) You know, it just kind of sounds different. You know, so that Jesus is saying, hey, 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 listen, don't, don't do that. 
And if you and I look at somebody and say, yeah, that, that's probably for them. But honestly, aren't we all, can't we all be just a little bit tempted to give ourselves worth and value if I can see that I'm better than you at something? If I can impress people, then, you know, that, hey, I'm okay. I, I'm good. I, I have value. If that's how I'm using prayer, no, no. Now, I don't imagine any of us are too surprised to hear Jesus calling that out and saying, uh-uh, that, that's not what, what prayer is for. But, but, you know, folks, there's kind of a flip side to what Jesus is saying. It's not just that uh, don't use prayer to impress others. You can also hear Jesus saying here, hey, man, don't worry about impressing others when you pray. God loves your voice. God loves you. And his response to you is never measured based on how you pray compared to the person next to you or the person up front or, or, or whoever you're impressed with in prayer. God is, God is never measuring you against that. Isn't that good news? Listen, whether you are praying by yourself or you're praying with one other person or you're, or you're praying with a hundred people, you have an audience of one. And that one is never comparing you to somebody else. Now, while I say that the focus here is on the heart, not, not this activity of, of praying or fasting out loud, I, I do believe you could use a passage like this to say that, that Jesus is prioritizing what we do in private, isn't he? You know, folks, so much of, of who we are in Christ, what we're seeking to build in Christ, maybe what we're trying to do in Christ, that is built in private. That is built alone. And I think the more we build in private, the more it increases the odds that what we're doing in public is real. And, and it is genuine. So we don't pray to impress others. Secondly, and this one might come out as a little bit of a curveball, we don't pray to impress God. Does that sound a little... Well, of course we pray to impress God, right? I'm trying to get his attention. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to listen. I'm trying to get him to listen to me. And that's kind of how religions approach all their false gods. I mean, I don't know if he's in a good mood. I don't know if he likes me. I, I, I don't know if he understands. And so I've got to make it clear. I've got to a, a pray impressively. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you don't. Oh, yeah, I need to have the, I need to have the right words and the, and the right voice. Have you ever heard somebody with a special prayer voice? Oh, Lord God in heaven high above. I come to you today with an eschatological concern for the soteriological need of man. <laughs> Jesus is saying, what? Stop that. Don't, don't do that. Hey, folks, listen. God loves your voice and he loves you. Your voice and your words should sound a lot like you when you pray because it's you that God loves it, it, it's you that God wants to listen to now again folks I, I, I think a lot of us we, we don't pray a lot don't pray out loud because we're uncomfortable we're uncertain do you hear what Jesus is trying to say to us today hey listen set all that aside 
God's not measuring you against somebody else. God hasn't set some kind of standard. And if he's, he's going to see if you can jump up and reach it with your special words and your voice and, and how you pray. No. God loves you. God cares about you. God knows what you need. And that actually rolls right into our third point because that is our third point. And folks, that right there, what makes prayer work is trusting that. What, what makes prayer work is not the particular word or how you do it. It's that you trust God loves you and God cares and God knows what you need. You, you know, when you look at, at chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, and I think that's somewhat of a common passage. I think a lot of us have probably heard that before. And you'll notice that of all the passage I read, that one even doesn't even include the word prayer. You say, why, why did you read that one? That, that's not about prayer. You know, you know what 25 to 32 gives us? It gives us the exact opposite of prayer. It's showing you what life looks like without prayer. As a matter of fact, kind of to hone it down, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry, but instead, pray. The opposite of being worried, the opposite of being anxious is praying. And, and, and so Jesus is describing, he's defining this life here that, by the way, is just living life, isn't it? It's, it's, it's running around crazy. It's running around stressed. I'm trying to make needs happen. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to, to figure all this out. And I don't know if God fully understands. I don't know if God's wise enough, strong enough. I don't know if he can do anything about this. And so that's why I'm stressed. That's why I'm worried. If this is going to happen, I've got to do it. And that's where Jesus says, stop it. Stop acting like that. You, you don't have the false gods of other religions. Stop acting like you don't know he loves you. Stop acting like you don't know that he cares and that he knows what your needs are. Worry is a sin because worry is a testimony that we believe there is no God, that he can't make a difference, that he can't do anything here. You know, it always kind of stresses us out, doesn't it, when we're reminded that worry is a sin because after all, worry is something that, yeah, every one of you, including the guy up here, we all do, right? As a matter of fact, it's so, we, we so consistently do this, we so consistently see each other do this that it, it just kind of evades us that it actually is a sin. So I get asked all, is, is, is worry really a sin? And, and actually, my answer to that is yes and no. No, it's not a sin in this. It is not a sin to have a worrisome, anxious thought, a, a worrisome, anxious emotion well up in you you can't keep that from happening that that's not a sin to all, all of a sudden you're thinking about something you're thinking about someone you're thinking about a situation and and all of a sudden there's that emotion there a little bit of that anxiety a little bit of that worry that's not a sin what you do next right that's what determines if it becomes a sin if i just kind of sit down and stew in that and I sit down and start just building out the worst case scenario, the worst possible way this could turn out, the worst possible way you meant it. And, and I just develop, y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? We're all experts at this, you know? That's a sin because I'm giving this testimony. There, there's no God. God doesn't make a difference. Think of worry as, as, as a flashing warning light on your dashboard, now, now, I say that, if you're one of those that drives around for eight months while that thing flashes, then I'm not talking to you, okay? 
I, I, you know, some of you just got ribbed, didn't you? <laughs> okay, think of worry as that flashing warning light. When, when, that, war- when that light starts flashing, I go, uh-oh, something's wrong. And if I keep going, it's going to get worse. I need to stop. I need, I need to get the owner's manual. I need to figure something out here. Folks, that's, that's what worry is in us. Worry is an emotion. Wor- worry is experience. When that hits immediately that's a warning sign God is giving me. You need to stop right here. You need to get the owner's manual and you need to start praying because if you keep going forward in the way you are, you're going to break something even more. You're going to ruin something even more. So we need to pray. Why don't we pray? Because we don't always trust I mean, right, you got, you got to be motivated. You don't go and ask somebody. I mean, you would never come to me and say, hey, Randy, could you, uh, could you give me the Washington Redskins? You're not going to come and ask me that because, you know, that's a, that's a ridiculous question and there's absolutely zero I could do about it. Is that why we're not talking to God? Because there's just really zero that he can do about it? See, I've got to, maybe that needs to be my first prayer every day. Hey, God, help me trust that you care. Our fourth point, God is good, so keep asking. God is good, so keep asking. Do you hear the repetitives there in chapter 7, verse 7? Ask, seek, knock. By using these three things, kind of three pretty similar things, saying it over and over and over, Jesus is saying, go back, go back, go back, keep asking, keep praying, don't stop. As a matter of fact, Jesus, if you did take all of the things he said about prayer in the New Testament and broke them up into categories on, on prayer, probably the thing that's going to be at the very top is persistence. When, when Jesus is teaching on prayer, it is often on persistence, perseverance, keep praying. He literally gives an illustration uh, uh, of this woman and a judge, and, and the woman is just annoying the judge all day, all night, just bothering him, and Jesus says, do that. Just absolutely bug my father to death. Just annoy him. I mean, do you realize this is, a, this is a primary, this is a major teaching of Jesus on prayer, and it is the exact opposite of how you and I live life. Because it doesn't take very long into life. What, about three or four, five years old? Sooner or later, we're going to hear from a parent, from a teacher, from a coach. You ever heard this? Go ahead, go ahead, ask me one more time. Now, are you hearing that as an invitation to keep asking? No, hey, listen, this is true across generations, across the world. We learn pretty early on, stop asking. The more you ask, you're just making me mad. Odds go down that I, that I give you what you want. I mean, that is human life. Stop asking. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that's how y'all work down here. Exact opposite when it comes to prayer. Don't stop asking. Don't stop. When you think you're a nuisance, when you think you're annoying, get up and go again. Now, on the one hand, that's good news. On the other hand, it's like, well, why? Couldn't you just like answer the first time? You know, I wonder how many of us in here, I'm, I'm one. I'm, I'm guessing there's a few other. You've prayed about some things for decades. Not, not for a long time. Oh, I've been praying about that for months now. For, for, for decades. Why, why is it so important that I, I keep on praying, that I, that I keep on going back to the Lord after that? 
You know, folks, the Bible says, Hebrews eleven six, without faith, um, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. So the big question on any of our minds, how, how do I show faith? And there's more than one way. There's a variety of ways. Obedience, obviously when I'm obeying, because a lot of times what's inside me is telling me to do one thing and God's word is saying, no, do this. And so when I obey, I'm saying, hey, look, I trust your word. I, I, I trust your way. But boy, a, a way that you and I have of expressing faith every single day of our lives is when we stop what we're doing and we say, dear Lord. When we go back again and again and again. There may not be a clear, more objective way that you and I have to say, God, I'm not going anywhere else. I am, I am coming to you. I am coming only to you. I will never stop coming to you for the answer. Folks, that is the faith that, that blesses God. Now, Let's, let's deal with something in this passage because this whole ask, seek, knock thing, what's it say? Ask and it will be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the, the door will be opened. Anybody in here asked and felt like you didn't receive? I'm guessing about 100% of us at least at one time in life. If not, oh gosh, I, I don't even know how many prayers I've asked that I'd, I don't think I received. I don't think the door was open and there again there can be multiple reasons we don't acknowledge that you know I mentioned last week I'm guilty I'm guilty of of praying about something and then getting up and charging off into the day into the situation and I stop looking and I stop listening so when God works when God speaks I'm not I'm not looking and listening anymore and so I don't I don't even acknowledge or realize that he answered a- another reason we maybe don't get that he answered is because we don't like the answer right I would imagine, yeah, you know, it's probably not the first sermon you've heard on, on prayer. You've heard a preacher, maybe you've read a book on, on prayer, and a lot of times you're going to hear this. There's three basic ways God answers, right? Yes, no, and wait. Yeah, yes, no, and wait. Okay, now the yes, I'm all about that. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yes, thank you, Jesus, praise Jesus, going to go to church this week. But the no and the wait, nah, not so much. And, and there's a reason for that. I mean, when, when my parents told me no, when the boss tells you no, when the teacher tells you no, when the coach tells you no, when they say wait, I mean, when we hear that, we don't assume they have our best interest in mind, do we? We assume they're mean. We assume they're selfish. We assume they don't know. We assume they don't care. And, and there's a pretty good chance you're right. <laughs> But see, that's not the case with God. God can't deliver to you an answer. And there's not many places where you say God can't. God cannot deliver to you an answer that does not come out of his love. Because God's loving. Everything he does is loving. God cannot deliver to you an answer that does not come from the perfection of his knowledge. Every answer God has ever delivered, whether it's a yes, a no, or a wait, is enveloped and shaped by that love and by that knowledge. That's not true of any of us when we're telling each other no and wait. I mean, I, I think we could say no to somebody and have their best interest in mind, like maybe a parent with a child. 
But, but with God, we don't have to question his motive there. It comes from his love. It comes from his knowledge. You know, we're back now to number three. You've you got to trust. We've got to trust that he cares. But God does answer everything. One last one going along here. Number five, pray God's prayers. Now, that sounds a little bit different, doesn't it? Yeah, God has prayers? Who's he praying to? I thought God didn't have any needs. I, I thought, I didn't, there's nobody above God. No, I'm not saying any of those things. I just wrote that to, to kind of mess with your mind and make you think about it. Maybe take out the word prayers and put the word desires. God has desires, right? We read through God's word and, and he has desires. Now, why is, why is this important? I, I introduced prayer a moment ago as saying that this is a conversation. But if you and I are honest with ourselves, we don't really treat prayer as a conversation. We treat it more as a monologue. Uh, God, you can come on in now. Yeah, have a seat. Get comfortable. I just wanted to share with you my insight on the world and what you ought to be doing with it. And, and after we get done three minutes, five minutes, 30 minutes later telling God the business he needs to be about today, then we dismiss him. Could you check back in with me tomorrow? I'd like to see how you're doing. Right? I mean, it's, 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 our, our, our prayer is pretty one directional. And yet I call it a conversation. Most, most conversations are two directional, Right? And, and, and so, folks, God's desires is, is when I'm reading God's word. I mean, I could be reading anything. I'm reading out of the Psalms today. I'm reading out of Matthew today. I'm, I'm reading God's word. And all of a sudden I note, hey, here's something God desires. Here's something on his heart. You know, in my journal, I, I got a, a, a section in my journal I call his desires. And, and I'll jot that down. And I let that become a part of what I pray about. Because I want to, I kind of want to show to God, hey, I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to see what you're saying, what you're doing, what's on your heart. Hey, God, I'm, I'm interested in what's on your heart. Just like I hope you're interested in what's on my heart. And so say I'm reading through Matthew chapter 6 and I, I come to Matthew 6.33 and it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Hey, that's, that's God's desire, his kingdom. The advancement of his kingdom. What's a kingdom? It, it, a kingdom is a place that has a king and, and he rules. And man, I jotted that down, I don't know how many years ago, and that has been something I, I pray really almost every day and have for years. God, I pray your kingdom, I pray your rule advances in my life. I pray it advances in my home, and I pray it advances for our church. Lord, I, I, I pray that it is clear in my life, wherever I'm going today, whatever I'm doing, I pray it's clear that I have a king and I'm your servant and, and, and Lord, in a moment, I'm going to start telling you about what I think and what I need and what I'm bothered by. I pray in every one of my prayer requests. I pray every one of those is a place where your rule advances. Maybe that request is there. Maybe that question is there. Maybe that frustration is there is because clearly your rule is not advancing. So may I be just as interested in your rule advancing as I am the way I see that issue and the answer I want. And you know the crazy thing, folks, is when you're praying that prayer, you are praying for the answer to your prayers. Because when Jesus rules, there is no more prayer requests, right? I mean, ultimately, when his kingdom has expanded and when his rule is reigning everywhere, the requests are gone. So it may be one of the most powerful things we can be praying about. I mean, to go to the Lord's Prayer, hey God, I pray that, that things take place on earth the way they do in heaven. I pray your will is being done in everything I'm going to talk to you about. 
Now, I, I, I said we were at the end of the sermon and you should be looking down in your Bible. Say, you talked about prayer today and didn't even mention the Lord's Prayer. That seems kind of central here to all this. That's next week. I'm glad you were concerned about that. Next week, we're going to come back. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Folks, it is the answer to uh, everything. You know, I mean, I'm pretty good at dear Lord, but what comes after that always makes me a little confused. You know, where do I, folks, the Lord's Prayer, wonderful thing to recite, can be very moving and inspirational at various times and places to recite that alone, to recite that with others. But even more than something we recite, the Lord's Prayer is a map. It's a guide of where to go in your prayer. Whether you're praying for three minutes or, or 30 minutes, it, Jesus, it's like Jesus saying, okay, cover this. Okay, you got that covered? Now cover this. See, each line is a, is a direction. So we're going to look next week, very practical way, I hope, you know, how to build a journal, how to build a prayer time, how to let the Lord's Prayer guide what you're praying about, where you're going, and, and even maybe how to sp- spread prayer requests out over the, over the whole week so that we don't have to try to cover everything under the sun in, in one moment, right? So that's what we're going to do next week. But boy, let's leave today with, with just this thought or, 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 or two thoughts, you know, A lot of us are driven by what we sound like when we pray, what others think about it, what God thinks about it. Please hear Jesus to say, don't worry about that, man. God just loves your voice. Don't worry about impressing others. Don't worry about impressing Him. So pray and pray confidently. And let's also hear Jesus saying, hey, listen, I I understand what's going on in the world and I know there's a lot of things that will seem to say to you the opposite But God does love you. God does care. He does know what your need is. So pray. Pray faithfully, without quitting, with confidence. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for, for, for using him to teach us what prayer is and how to use it and what to do and what not to do. Lord, I would imagine a whole lot of us in here, we've read these verses before, maybe even been in a Bible study or a sermon on them before, and then we walk away from them. Lord, I pray we would take every word we've heard today from Jesus and we would incorporate it into what we understand about prayer, and we would act on it. We would act on what Jesus has told us today, and and that, God, you would help us begin right now to start praying in that way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.